0: Welcome to the Moving Forward Podcast. This is your host, uh, Corey Cottrell, um, and uh, our co-host, uh, Rio Verdinier. Hey, guys. And uh, we got Marion, who is the world's global expert on the thing that we're gonna for the record that that's that's not the case uh compared she's to us,
1: spe- she's specifically asked us not to call her an expert so of yeah just.
0: so yeah no i'm I, and, and the thing is and so I'm, I'm gonna let mary introduce herself so you'll you'll get exactly why i made that joke uh compared to us i think that's uh, uh uh it's it's gonna end up being an accurate statement uh but we're we're gonna today we're gonna be talking about the uh the opioid crisis we're also going to be uh, uh uh hopefully talking a little bit about uh, housing first as uh, as as a policy, uh, which uh, which is really really big in in these circles where I'm from in Pasco County, where it's a huge problem. But Mary, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for bringing your level of expertise to this conversation because I think it's going to help contextualize it for all of our uh, uh, community. Uh, but maybe give us uh, a little bit of an introduction, you know, uh, uh, to to your past history and why these issues are so important to you.
2: I have been a registered nurse since uh, 1984, and I have worked lots. Um, my, my two main practice areas, and they've been primarily in the public sector, um, have, have been uh, co-occurring disorders, substance use disorders with psychiatric disorders, or those two distinct and then the extreme opposite to most people which has been critical care more er um, than icu but lots of icu as well Um, and i've worked lots with um, kids families with developmental issues psychiatric disorders Um, i have worked in and managed psychiatric emergency services which is just like what people think of an er except it's all psych and there's lots of substance too so that's my primary Um, i fully retired in 2017 although i had partially retired um uh in 2011 um i also worked a lot in public health and I retired um, from a uh, deputy director job in um, the state of Alaska in the North Slope uh, borough as the northernmost point in North America where I had lived, my first stint there was for 10 years and then two years after that. So the other thing I've, I've done a lot more of than most people is work in very remote rural communities um, including one, um, in Northern California.
0: So. Wow. So, um, I don't know, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show before, but I'm originally from the Canadian Arctic. So, um, I, I have an idea of the kind of, uh, Northern communities that, uh, uh, that you're talking about out there. Uh, so that, that's amazing. Thank you for, uh, for doing that work. Uh, so let's maybe, uh, sorry, Rio, you were going to say something.
1: Oh yeah, no. I was just gonna say. I mean, that counts as expertise. Like, thank you, thank you for yeah. your the work that you've done. And um, yeah, I mean, I realize you're not, you know, I, I don't get like an academic expert or whatever. But you have, in a way, what's better than that, which is like real experience dealing with multiple people, living with the reality of this. Yeah. And part of what we're trying to do with this show is to have on a variety of guests from all walks of life, because every single American has experience. Every everybody is an expert in something. And we're all in this together. We're all trying to get Yang elected. But whether Yang ends up getting elected or not, this show is about moving the country forward by bringing everybody together. So thank you for participating in that. And I'm really looking forward. We've already talked about you know, Yang's drug policies. So now let's talk in more detail about your personal experience in, you know, with the opioid crisis and what your take on all that is uh, in terms of public policy.
2: The whole history, my look at the history, is a little bit different than most people's. You see a lot of discussion about this on Twitter, for instance, and um, my history includes the fact that we nurses were very much involved. I don't think that anyone, uh, Jick is the, the doctor who did Sort of an informal study that was then held up as research you're probably familiar with this and published, and that was the fire that lit basically he showed with lots of post op patients who who were on uh, opioids for a number of days and i at this point, I haven't looked at it in so long that I can't give you particulars, but the bottom line was these drugs aren't addictive, you know. There, the people do do fine with them. People need them for pain, um, and and it all. I mean, I remember it distinctly. This was the late '80s, and it it like took off like a 747. And <clears throat> it's it's so crazy because if we look back in the history, just of this country, we have been through big opioid issues before. Um, And from my personal experience looking back, people act as if people were rolling on the floor, writhing in pain. Nobody with cancer was getting appropriate narcotic treatment, and it just wasn't true. And and that's the sad part to me. In my profession, and it's rarely mentioned, there was a nurse who worked specifically in in, in, uh, cancer, Margo McCaffrey, who was a real academic leader. And Margo McCaffrey was the person who came out with a definition, I may slightly paraphrase, but pretty close. Pain is wherever and whatever and how much the person says it is, period, end of story. And everybody I think knows now that when you go into a hospital, when when you get assessed, Part of what evolved was everyone, no matter why you are there, gets asked about pain and gets pain ratings. Um, Anyhow, I can remember being trained. We were all pushed to be trained through Margot McCaffrey's work, and I read her stuff. um, That, I mean, it, it was almost crazy. You know, the patient wakes up and you were encouraged to be like standing over them. You know, uh, are you sure you don't feel any pain? you know wow. um, we we don't we don't want you to feel pain. We don't want to be chasing the pain.
1: as, as someone feel. who is a total sissy, I appreciate that, but I totally understand your point like it it does seem like maybe it's the the pendulum swung a little far
2: <laughs> it was it was it was overkill um, and <clears throat> way way overkill. I think all of us can understand that some degree of discomfort, no, of course, not writhing in pain. But if I have a surgery, um, being gorked to the gills, which is basically what was being encouraged so that you are lights out, pretty much, um, is, is, is also not therapeutic. And it led to a lot of problems. I can give you a great short example. I don't want to talk on and on, but when I was 17, um, it was ascertained that I had like big time impacted wisdom teeth that they insisted like, this is, yeah, it's got to go. And my, and my teeth were moving around. Um, the surgeon said it was so severe that I really needed to have uh, general anesthesia. And I did. It was done in the office, but they were set up for that. And I can remember waking up, blah, blah, blah. And I was told I was going to get a little bottle of pain medication. And basically, you know, you need to expect that it's going to be sore, Uh, drink liquids, eat soft stuff. They gave me all kinds of examples. For a couple, three days, you know, your mouth's going to be sore. And if you really need to take one of these, you could take it every four hours, but only if you really need to take it and probably want to take it at night. I got enough in that pain bottle for about two and a half days. And I don't know for sure if it was Tylenol number three or Tylenol number four, but I took one when I got home. I had one in the evening. I think I had one the next morning. That was it. Um, I ate my soft food, and I actually, I had a summer job, needed to earn money, so I went back to the job the next day, and yeah, it it was sore, but I was fine. My son got a much less complicated, not impacted, um, wisdom teeth removal when I was doing a contract job in North Carolina in 08, and he called me and was just like, Mom! What are these doctors doing? I didn't even know what had gone on. You know, are they trying to addict people? And I'm like, wait, hold up. Tell me what's going on. He said, I got my wisdom teeth out. They gave me a giant bottle of, you know, super strength, hydrocodone, with a refill for that one. And he gave me a paper script for Demerol and said, if if this doesn't do it, you know, then, then here's this. That's how I would encapsulate the change and the change in thinking. Hmm. Very, very different deal. Yeah, I
1: I appreciate you saying that because um, obviously, uh, as you know from listening to our episode about about the opioid crisis uh, and Yang's drug policies, I support the idea of not giving people unnecessary... um, like prescriptions for highly addictive substances. Um, but on like on a personal level, because I have a very low tolerance for pain. And I do think yeah. there probably is some truth to the fact that some people subjectively feel pain differently from other people. Um, but I also, it is reassuring that to hear you tell me that it's not necessary. And that we can have people not suffering. We can, we can, we can treat pain without, um, without, you know, risking getting people hooked on these um, these, in many cases, life-destroying drugs. So thank you for reassuring sissies like me that even after ah. Yang's policy goes into effect, I'm not going to be, you know, miserable in the hospital. I appreciate that.
2: Yeah, I, no, nobody, nobody s- supports that. I also had, this is going to sound kind of weird, but I'm, I'm going to share it. Um, there are indeed people who, I will say maybe, much more predisposed to addiction and not through genetics. Genetics, yes, but it's coming out really that genetics is really a twinkie dink compared to other factors. And I'm sure that both of you are at least somewhat aware of the, the, the focus on trauma, childhood trauma, et cetera, and how that can set people up. Um, I have always long before all of this, I, I have quite a, a childhood trauma history. And I remember I was in the, in the air force and I had to have my tonsils out. And this was in maybe, I don't know, 70, I think it was in, yeah, it was in 75 and I was at the Charleston Naval hospital. And back then, gosh. They, they actually did this in a dental chair under, you know, you got kind of snorked, but you were not under general anesthesia um, and then came back. And it's, it's well known in adults, you know, when you get sick with tonsil stuff, you get hypertrophy, big swelling of the tonsils. They take up a much larger area in your throat, blah, blah, blah. It's quite the operation, and it is known to be, unlike with children, one of the most painful, bloody operations you can have. Ugh. And <clears throat> I remember being in that, that uh, bed, and they were coming and giving me Demerol shots. And I certainly needed it. That was more than appropriate. I mean, you get where, you know, you've got a spittoon thing by you because you cannot stand to swallow. It's very, very painful. Anyhow, this this went on for uh, a day. The experience that I had was, I had never had Demerol before that I was aware of. And I remember kind of, I was sitting, half sitting, lying in the bed and I'd gotten a shot and maybe 20 minutes had passed and it's quite fast acting. And I remember sitting there and I suddenly became aware that while I felt totally different, it didn't take the pain away. Hmm. I was in the bed and I'm sitting there and it's like on my left hand, here's sitting the pain. But what I felt was, I just didn't give a shit anymore. I didn't care. You know, the pain didn't bother me and I was about to fall asleep anyway but the biggest part of this experience was scary to me because it's like that pain is still there but you know what i don't care you know it's it's like not bothering me and it dawned on me in that moment how addictive that could be and not just with physical pain. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I think I'm following you. So what you're saying is a lot of these, a lot of these drugs, don't, they don't actually numb the pain. They just make it so that you psychologically, you don't care about the pain anymore.
2: I think there's a great deal of truth to that. I'm sure yeah. I was getting, you know, real honking doses. And that sure. was very appropriate. You know, it's yeah. horrible pain.
1: Sure, yeah. But, no, it, but there so I mean, there it, are times when you need serious pain. Killers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But it was, it was also amazing to me to sit there and be fully aware of that pain. But it just didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And part of that was also that um, you know, pretty soon after you have such a dose, you you are going to be in La La Land and sleeping. Yeah. So, you know, I was on my way there. But for me, it was like a real wake up call for me personally um that that this is so anyway what happened you know all the fingers are pointing in in multiple directions and uh now people with pain who i have total empathy for are saying you know this was never about too much prescribing you know this was always just those street users and now you see Mm. You know, all the people who are dying are not dying from prescriptions, blah, blah, blah. I worked in treatment and I can tell you that when I was working back in, in treatment in 07, I'm not going to say where, um, the uh, this was one of my few stints working in a private facility. So we were getting not all, but many doctors, lawyers, you know, professionals, Well employed people, etc., and people who had typically started out with some kind of surgery my leg, my arm, my whatever and it ran away from there. Um, and I can remember people we got people from multiple states too that are adjacent to our state who are in professional positions or, um, let's see, uh, public service positions, high profile, et cetera, and knew they were on the edge of the, of the jig being up if they didn't do something, because they were no longer to, able to really function at work. So they had asked to start being working at home. All of these people started out and were still getting prescription medications, but they were also using pill mills, which were abundant mm. in my state, adjacent states
0: yeah they were uh, they were here too my wife actually came in we live in in pasco county um she ended up working at the walgreens that sold more opioids than any other uh, place in the country uh just basically they're you know they were they pill mills all over the place people were coming in from from you know all all, all over the place and they had just been of course and you know in, in, indicted and reformed and all that other nonsense and then she came in so I got stories all the time Like she, you know, is following every single one of the rules. She's denying, um, you know, people that are coming in getting scripts for their grandmother for like 300 uh, uh, pills that would kill a horse. <laughs> it yeah. just was, it was, it was insane. No, I,
1: um, I mean, I'm laughing because it's, it's terrible. Like <laughs> it is. It, 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 it's, <laughs> it's a it's nervous crazy. laughter. That's not good. That's not good.
0: No, but it, like it, 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 it's, it's insane that just the sheer amount that, 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 you know, had been, had been the case. Um, and still to some extent is right now, right? Like that, you know, and the reason why everyone's all worried about heroin is because that's where you go when they stop the flow of legal heroin.
2: Right, right. And that's, that's what people don't want to connect. There Uh were, there's, there's none of us who can be absolved. All of us were involved. Do I think it came out of malintent? Like doctors just wanted to addict all these people? Of course not. Right. You know, something that was held up as research, which wasn't any kind of truly recognized research, was just run with, you know, and and then uh, the opioid companies. And on top of that, I was talking about uh, working in remote sites. I worked in a remote site um, in Northern California. We had a hopping and popping physical therapy department. You know, people in pain, back pain is like the number one or number two diagnosis in America. You know, what is the number one complaint that people go to the doctor for? Pain. The number one diagnosis now is some sort of back pain. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, people have always had pain that they needed to be worked with. And in this little little hospital, that those people, elderly people, young people, everybody, they were referred to PT prior oh. to all of this, you know, the opioid crisis. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's so
1: important because, I mean, I, yeah, well, I mean, the problem, the problem of course is physical therapy means that you have to do repeat appointments. You, it means that like there's, there are practitioners who have to really give one-on-one actual attention to a patient. And unfortunately it's just easier and possibly even cheaper to just give people, a prescription rather than have to do all of that, but yeah, so yes. uh, so so, so Mary, th- re- before we run out of time, I want to make sure we, we contextualize this with public policy. Um, so tell us really quickly, like, how is it that you personally came to support Yang, and also how do you see his policies around drugs fixing these problems that you have so much personal experience with?
2: Okay, I'll answer it, but I have to say one little thing. Okay, the other, the other piece of that is for insurance companies. Pills like good old generic forms of opioids are much less expensive than physical therapy. So figure that one out. It's, 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 it's actually hard now or, or was to get, you know, PT referrals and then it's like, okay, you can have three appointments. That's it kind of stuff. So that was an issue too. That was born of this. How I came to support Yang was, I ran across Yang on, I think, the internet. And um, I listened to him, I I sought out the information, I went, I read his policies, and I was like, yes! (laughs) Um, And then I went to a Yang Gang uh, site. And the most compelling thing for me is the policies. I'm a person who actually annoys other liberals sometimes. (laughs) Because I really, I want nuts and bolts. I don't want, there are two candidates, and I will not say who they are, but when they speak, it's like the spittle is flying. Everything they say. And, and... And there's like way too little, but what exactly are you going to do and how are you going to do this? That's what I want to hear. Yeah. And that is much more what I got from Andrew Yang. And I truly believe I'm a pretty good judge of human beings. I've been met at psych emergency doors with people waving machetes and all kinds of things. Yowza. And um, this guy comes off as a real deal to me and his policies hold water to me and things like means testing. There are a lot of people that would be like all the people uh, that keep pushing. If you're applying for welfare, you need to be drug tested in spite of the fact that you can readily look up and see in virtually every state that's done this. It's caused a heap of money. Right. I mean, big money, way more than the program, and the number of people who come up positive are a, a, a tiny tinkle. So, so
1: <laughs> All of my me. rich friends would fail that test, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: There it is, exactly.
1: They're like doing coke in LA every other weekend. <laughs>
2: Hello! <laughs> and I like him because he makes sense, and I want somebody who thinks hard. I think hard. I consider these things. I want someone who thinks hard and yet is, is, um, oh my God, it's such a gift to be given someone who thinks hard is very bright, knows a lot of economic stuff that I certainly don't and is human focused. So that's, that's that's really why
1: yeah preach sister i hear you yeah so i mean i guess it's kind of obvious but for um would you mind spelling it out how does yang's policies around around drugs um address you know the opioid crisis and the other problems in the medical industry that you've experienced firsthand
2: oh (laughs) i would i would probably have to go back and read specifically or you're going to have to refresh me. Well, Corey
1: can do that real quick. He can just really quickly remind you about what Yang's big policies are on the issue. No problem. Okay. So
0: as president, Andrew Yang will declare a state of emergency and seek to bring down both the overdose numbers and the addiction levels by 20% within four years. Uh, Quintuple federal funding from 4.5 to 20 billion per year directed toward addiction treatment and rehabilitation for addictive opiates at the local levels. So that's one thing. Agreed?
2: Yes. Okay. Absolutely.
0: Uh, impose absolutely. a new tax on opiate manufacturers to fund treatment and re- rehabilitation, retroactive to 2005. I forgot about that. <laughs> That's yes,
2: math. yes, because we That's do we do know. I mean, the stuff you're well aware of that has been brought up, which was uh, involving the manufacturers, that was really diabolical. Yeah, you know, we, absolutely. We 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 can get <laughs> we can get these things spread around, and they'll never be able to let them go. And yeah, it was the truth.
0: Um, Yeah, they've they've made billions. They could give half back to treating the people whose lives they fucked up. Uh, The FDA should allow only doctors who complete specialized education in pain management to prescribe opioids for more than a few days. All states should limit the size of prescriptions and require all opioid prescriptions to be made from hospitals instead of individual offices and practices. Uh, Right now, our prescription rate is four times higher than in Europe. Well, uh, we need to bring it down. Doctors need to tell more patients that they'll feel better on their own without having to take opiates. I think that's kind of what you were saying before. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes. Very li- a, a, a limited supply, which a once upon a time I experienced it was right. appropriate, you know, yeah. it, it wasn't that opioids weren't given. They just weren't given in massive bottles with lots of reorders that, you know, for having teeth out, the people were staking, taking them two months early and then up, oh, uh, couldn't stop taking them well, right. yeah
1: you know and even even a sissy like me i, I mean, like you bring this up it's really funny but i really have a i mean like my wife makes fun of me my wife makes fun of me because i have a very low tolerance for pain but even i was like you know yeah i you know i had uh um, some dental work done and they they gave me some painkillers i didn't complete the whole bottle i mean even i didn't need it like they get they, like, <laughs> it's just not necessary
2: yeah 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 right And, and it, we, it, the other ahead. thing that has happened is with the whole, there have been many, many changes that that are not appropriate to get into now, but in in medical care, the amount of time, you know, all of of that. And you'll also see this because when people need more, whatever it is after they're seen by the surgeon, surgeon spends time doing this but they really don't get paid anything and so you also the whole field I think got into let's just do it up front you know Mm -hmm. it's like if you give them two bottles two giant bottles of hydrocodone that should do it and we'll be absolutely sure by giving another paper prescription of Demerol.
0: So it's like basically CYA, so they don't have to spend any more time dealing with pain management. Efforts. So, so
1: a lot of this, for what I'm, what I'm getting from you, Mary, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you're saying a lot of this is just about money and time resources, right? Like it, one of one of Yang's policies is just increasing, you know, funding available for for these things, and that I mean that seems like. A good solution, but right? P- people aren't getting good care because PT is expensive, as you said, and it takes. It's it's you know um, surgeons are very high paid individuals, and they don't want they can't afford to be spending a lot of time writing another prescription, and another prescription. So they're just giving it all up front. So it's really about time and money management. And as a businessman, I fully expect Ying to be able to fix that problem. A real businessman, not a fake one like Trump.
2: Yeah. <laughs> And I think things have very much changed. Now there's, you know, patients are, are screaming because, because docs are, you know, oh, he only gave me whatever. And, um, you know, so now they're kind of on, on the other end of that and uh, we we have that whole movement going. The only thing that I would perhaps disagree slightly Uh, with the policies is that I actually think that it doesn't take specific training in pain management. You know, it never did to just baseline appropriately prescribe. And um, I, I think that medical schools, we can count on medical schools now doing quite the good job of beefing this up everybody's very 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 aware that it is a problem and now we have many 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 people who uh for whom docs are the adversary now so it's Mary it's hard. quick
1: question, follow-up question do you think that if we were to require that specific training wouldn't that just basically encourage medical schools to make sure that that training was included?
2: I think that's absolutely a good thought. Yeah, Okay. probably. Okay.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I totally hear you about, like right now it would be kind of frustrating because in a way you'd have fewer people able to prescribe. But yeah. over the course of a couple of years, as more, as more people enter the industry, the problem would resolve itself because now it, basically we would just be required, it, they would just simply have to make sure that everybody in, in, in medicine had that training.
0: And if yeah. we had medicare Medicare for all, there would just be a protocol around how to deal with that anyway, and it would get dealt with, um, which would-
1: Yang also supports. Yeah, of yeah. course, great. So, Mary, oh, yeah. thank you so much for having us on. Um, <laughs> for having us on. Yes, thanks <laughs> no, for having I, us on your show, yes, Mary. Thanks for yes, having this us is on, greatest okay. show. Thanks. Um, by 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 the way, uh, you um um, I I don't know. I'm just gonna kind of fish here for a second, but. Um, you recently uh, started becoming a supporter of our Patreon, and you're going to hear we thanked you on the previous episode. I wanted to thank you again personally for that. Um, what, what, why is it? Why is it that you chose out of all of the shows out there? Why, why, why this one? Why did you come on this show, and why did why did you give us money and your the generosity of your heart as
2: you did? You just demonstrated it. Um, you would be hard pressed to ever have described me as a conservative and um here you sit on a podcast with someone else who would be hard-pressed to be described as a conservative for me that doesn't mean that i i didn't appreciate or lean toward some it's been long ago (laughs) conservative positions but i i for me, this is hope this is a hopeful path. You're choosing to discuss real things and you're choosing not to do some kind of boxing knockout. It's not about winning. It's truly about let's, let's find the truth. If we can say that let's come to consensus, let's find what works for people, you know, um, One of my things, for instance, with the um, uh, UBI is the lack of means testing in working with people who have been seriously and persistently mentally ill. And for you, that would mean people like who have a diagnosis, for instance, of maybe schizophrenia um, and, and, and more. It is heartbreaking. And I have seen this many times for people, you know, people are are on quite heavy duty medications. And there are what we call the positive and the negative symptoms of this kind of disorder. And the positive symptoms are things like hallucinations, um, things that you can see, you know, that tell you readily delusions, there's something really wrong here. The negative symptoms that these folks have are a kind of apathy that comes as the disease progresses um uh depression um a a lot of symptoms like that completely unraveling under stress so i'm getting to the point i'm really going to get there rio the point is is when these people are for instance on disability or you know and they're getting special housing or whatever here comes the time to assess them again. And people around them, I've had many people around uh, them. I have, I have a dear friend who from college you know, has, has very serious and persistent mental illness. If you were around her, you wouldn't necessarily pick that up. She's well treated. But if you even try and put many of these people in like a cashier's job, things i've heard people say a lot oh he could go and work he could go be a you know work at the grocery store no that amount of stress can completely unravel folks just because you see it doesn't mean it isn't there and the disease is so much more than only delusions only hallucinations etc so the whole means testing thing for me is, is just like, no, you know, and, and that's part of why I really love UBI.
1: Yes. Thank you for saying that. I completely agree. And I obviously Corey and I agree with you. There's something really magical about Yang's ability to bring people on the left and the right together, conservatives and progressives and moderates and the whole shebang. Um, and I, I think that this country needs that right now. Yes. Um, Thank you for coming on and telling us about your personal experiences as they relate to these policies. We really appreciate it. I definitely learned a lot from you. I'm sure our listeners did as well.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, Mary, do you, uh, do you want to take us out?
2: Oh dear. Um,
0: rhymes, rhymes yeah. with Andrew Yang is our Mako. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> Andrew Yang is our taco. Andrew Nailed Yang it. Is the man. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you.
0: thank you very much for listening to the moving forward podcast uh, we are so excited to be bringing this to you and we're so excited about the uh the awesome community the yang gang that's growing up around the candidacy uh, of andrew yang uh, if you could please tag us on twitter with the hashtag #MovingForwardPod pod and uh, find and join the moving forward podcast uh, group on facebook thanks and we'll see you next time